Hi, welcome to Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring. So this is going to be a different kind of episode from the others. I wrote a book called Dash, Rushing the Play with Connor Crace. It's the second standalone in the Boston Tomcats football romance series. The ebook has been out for a few days as of today, and I just finished listening to and uploading and submitting the audio files for Audible um, a couple days ago. And I was so blown away by Emma Wilder's acting in this one that I decided I have to do a quick little episode praising her and her performance. This was unplanned because I've been dealing with all of the admin and marketing stuff for the book release. Uh, and then I have to get ready to travel for work soon. So I don't have time to schedule a Zoom interview with Emma, unfortunately. But Emma's performance in this needs to be shouted about. And also, I think that in general, the female romance narrators need to be celebrated a lot more. And I figured I can do that on my podcast and also share a sneak listen of the audiobook. So I also want to say up front uh, that Evan Parker is really fantastic in Dash. He's a fantastic narrator, and I wish I had time to have him on this podcast, but I don't really even have time to do what I'm doing right now. Um, I will say that if you listen to Decker, then you will recognize his voice. And Connor very generously wrote him some amazing little monologues in Dash, and Evan Parker just really nailed them. Uh, Mackenzie Cartwright, of course, is always great in my audiobooks, and this time she voiced Ingrid, who is the heroine's mother, and it was perhaps the most thankless role and character in the book, but she played it uh, with the exact right amount of grace and dignity, and, um, and you'll also hear her as Hannah from Decker. And, uh, and I'm sure the ladies will love Connor's performance because he's, uh, he's a pretty growly, cocky, cinnamon roll athlete, and he really went for it when he was narrating the sexy times in this one. <laughs> like, really. Um, but so did Emma. Um, and I want to highlight Emma Wilder. So in a little bit, I'm going to talk about Emma's work, and we'll listen to some clips from the upcoming audiobook. Because there are certain clips that are just too long or too steamy to share on social media or in the retail sample. But first, I'm going to play a recording of Connor Crace reading the blurb for Dash. Um, and then I've decided to tell you about the production process uh, of my audiobooks from my POV as the author and publisher. It occurred to me that uh, most people don't know about the process or specifically what I do for the audiobook, besides maybe the fact that I write with audio in mind. So I'm going to tell you, and it actually takes a while to explain everything, like 20 minutes. <laughs> and then it's going to be all about Emma. So there's going to be a buildup and some edging. Um, but after you hear Connor's voice, you're going to hear a lot of me talking in this episode before we get to Emma's clips. So uh, you've been warned. Number 99, Dash Taylor, rookie defensive end for the Boston Tomcats. 285 pounds of fast twitch muscle. Nickname, Big D. I've been sacking quarterbacks since junior high and causing trouble since I was born. My college coach thinks I have a bad attitude, so he makes me take ballet lessons as punishment. If I don't turn things around on the field next season, he'll bench me. I have no idea what ballet has to do with football, but it turns out the real punishment is that the beautiful dance teacher refuses to get involved with me. Two years later, we cross paths again, and it's not the other team's offensive line who brings me to my knees. It's a hundred-pound ballerina. She doesn't think I'm boyfriend material, and I used to think that too. I've been a beast on the field and in the bedroom, but now I'm going to prove that I can be a man for her and for our surprise baby. I thought I was all about the smash and dash, but getting Charlie Bardo pregnant changed everything. Okay, so if you're interested in the behind-the-scenes of audiobook production, keep listening. If you aren't, well, too bad. But uh, you're listening to a podcast, so we can assume you like information. 
As some of you probably know, I've been doing exclusively duet audiobook productions since 2021, starting with Funny Business, and uh, most of them have also been multicast with at least four actors, upwards of seven. Um, The first step in the audiobook production process is casting and booking the narrators. Sometimes this happens long before you've even started writing the book, if you're really into audiobooks. Um, If you're an author or publisher who's trying to book one of the most popular male romance narrators, for instance, I won't name any names, Um, there are quite a few of them, but you have to book them many months in advance of the recording date now. Uh, Because they're so busy. This becomes especially important if you're doing a series like the Brody Brothers, where I had a total of seven actors for two of the books and uh, four very popular male narrators in all three of them. So uh, when you book the actors, you have to give them specific recording dates and you have to let the producer, if you have a producer, uh, know when the final script will be ready. So, uh, so the producer can tell the actors. And that means figuring out your release schedule at least a year in advance, usually, for a series. And while Funny Business released in audio on August 5th, 2021, Attachment Theory released November 2nd, 2021, and Good Vibrations released May 27th, 2022, I had the cast booked for each of those projects at some point in September 2020. I believe. And I was given a recording schedule and deadline for the audio scripts by the producer for all of those books back in October 2020. So even though so far I rarely have a simultaneous release for my audiobooks and ebooks, and it probably feels to the audiobook fans like they're having to wait for my audiobooks to release forever. Um, The audio deadline is actually always my first deadline to meet. Um, Once it's gone through second round proofreading, and I've gone through and made the suggested changes from the proofreader and given the manuscript a final once over, I send the script to the producer along with my notes and a character sheet and casting for each character. So there's one document where I or Connor and I assign which actors should read which characters. And one document where we give a brief description of the characters and any significant information like age or accent. I also write out certain rules for the editor, like for text convos, uh, because there are a lot of them in my books. Um, Like the actor should read the character's name the first time he or she narrates a message in a text convo, but not after that within the same convo. And, uh, and if we want a dialogue mashup or overlapping interrupted dialogue, I make a note about that for the editor. Um, and I also write out the opening and closing credits. Uh, I started using music for the opening and closing credits of my audiobooks, starting with Charmer, I believe. So I listen to a bunch of royalty-free pieces of music and then choose the exact right mood that I want for the book, sometimes months before I've actually started writing the book because it inspires me when I do get around to to writing the book. So I send that music file that I've purchased um, along with the script and the notes. And then the script goes to a prepper. Not all producers use a prepper, and it's not really necessary for dual or solo narration. For those of you who don't know, dual narration means the book is told from dual POVs, but one actor reads all of the chapters from their main character's POV in its entirety. The other actor reads his or her POV chapters in their entirety, and they voice all of the different characters within their chapters. But for multicast duet narration, uh, which means you have different actors voicing different characters within a chapter, it can get really complicated with all of the different actors and character assignments. So the prepper highlights and color codes the entire manuscript, assigning a different color and shade for each actor and character. And uh, so then she highlights the sentences in different colors, so it's hopefully clear to the actors and the editor and, uh, and the proofer who should be reading what. 
So after two or three days, depending on how long the book is, I get sent the prepped script and a spreadsheet that breaks down each actor's part and the colors that are assigned to them, as well as the prepper's uh, descriptions of the characters. And um, each prepper does things differently. But the one who worked on Dash, for instance, uh, Amy, she provides pronunciation keys for certain names and words, sometimes with links to videos of people pronouncing the names and words. Uh, which is very helpful for the actors. And sometimes I'll do a little voice recording of how I want things pronounced. She also breaks down the approximate number of minutes of finished work um, that the actor will be doing based on word count. So I then read through the entire highlighted script to make sure things are highlighted for the right person. I email back changes that need to be made because there's usually a few Then once I've signed off on everything, it gets shared in a Dropbox folder with the actors. And um, here's a side note about the actors. Uh, If you're curious how they're paid for this kind of project, um, they usually get paid per finished hour, meaning the amount of time their voice is heard in the final edit of the audiobook, regardless of how much time they've spent recording or reading on that project. So they all have an hourly rate that they charge plus pension and health contributions if they belong to the guild. Um, The actors, at least the ones who belong to the guild, must be paid a minimum of their one hour rate for every production. So even if you hear, say, 20 total minutes or less of a featured actor in an audiobook, they're paid for a full finished hour. And the editor usually gets paid double their rate for duet because there's way more editing involved. So uh, these multicast duet audiobooks are a lot more expensive than your average solo or dual narration productions. And I'll talk about that later. So um, the actors have a deadline for sending their files in to the engineer. Um, Now, for the books that Connor and I wrote together, including this one, Connor usually narrates his POV chapters before we send the script to the prepper. Um, If he makes any little changes to the text when he's narrating, he lets me know and I make the changes in the final draft of the manuscript. For Dash, Connor actually asked if I wanted to beta listen his uh, POV chapters and uh, he wanted my notes on his performance. And he's never done that before. And of course, I wanted to. And um, I ended up having um, like a handful of notes for him, which he then addressed and re-recorded before sending those files to Danielle, the engineer slash editor. Uh, So there are some duet productions where the actors will record parts at the same time from their separate booths over Zoom or FaceTime. But that requires some hard scheduling. Um, And of course, before COVID, some uh, fancy multicast recordings were done in a studio um, and still are now sometimes uh, with all the actors there at the same time. So but for my productions, the actors all record on their own, uh, whether they're in their home booths or at a studio for duet audio, they record their lines. And then when an actor's voice is supposed to be edited in, they're either silent for a beat, or they use a clicker, or they snap their fingers when the other actor would be talking. Um, And that's so the editor can see on the waveform, I think that's what it's called on their software, that that there isn't dialogue there. So it's easier to see what to edit out and uh, what to keep. So sometimes the actors will share files with each other so they know what the other is doing um, and so things match up or maybe it will help the other's performance in some way. I think it might be a little more important to do that for dual narration. Um, But for Dash, since Connor had recorded his POV files before Emma did, I actually shared a few of the raw files with Emma. She didn't ask for them. But I figured since they haven't worked together much before this, um, I thought maybe she wouldn't be able to just imagine how he played something um, the way she would if she was doing an audiobook with Teddy Hamilton, for instance. Um, And now it's not at all totally necessary for the actors to know what the other actor is doing. For instance, for Attachment Theory, Zachary Weber and Emily Wu Zeller didn't interact at all about their parts. But when their files were edited together, 
I mean, it really sounded like they were in the same place flirting with each other, but I don't think they've ever met. And and these actors are so good and they're clear on what their job is because of the way I wrote the book that you would never know they weren't facing each other in the scenes. It's kind of incredible. So uh, because Dash's character has a really big arc in this book, he changes a lot. And I thought it might help Emma to know what Connor would sound like in different parts of the book. So once the engineer slash editor has the actor's raw files, she does a rough edit and she um, edits the different files together according to the script. And then it gets sent to the proofer. The proofer um, listens and reads the script while listening and makes notes for any mistakes or discrepancies. And uh, then the actors get sent a list of words or sentences they need to re-record, or if they didn't somehow record them, they get a packet, and those are called pickups. Uh, They have a deadline to get the pickups back to Danielle, and then she edits everything together more specifically. And since these latest projects are duet, and the actors record separately at different times, there's a lot more editing involved. And then she masters the files so there's a consistent sound quality and so the quality is per ACX standards. ACX is a platform we use to publish audiobooks on Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. So whenever you hear an author complaining about, uh, you know, waiting for Audible or submitting something to Audible, what we mean is we submitted through ACX. Uh, So once everything is mastered, they share a Dropbox folder with all of the individual chapter final files with me. And I then listen to every single file. I, uh, I used to do it while I uploaded the files to ACX, but I've stopped doing that um, because sometimes I need things to change after I've uploaded the files and uh, after I've listened to the files and it can get confusing. So, so I listen through everything. I upload the files to ACX and then I go through and I double or triple check that every chapter is in order on the dashboard. And uh, of course, because uh, there was so much going on surrounding the uploading of a very Vegas St. Patrick's Day earlier this year, um, and a bunch of different files got re-edited kind of last minute, I, uh, I didn't notice that I had uploaded the same chapter back to back and neither did ACX. Uh, so very rarely mistakes like that do happen. But there's uh, this online software that ACX is, um, it, it's supposed to check for repeated files uh, and let you know while you're uploading them um, if there's uh, a mistake like that. And for some reason, it didn't catch that one. But anyways, it got fixed right away. And uh, another thing I should mention is that uh, when you set things up on ACX, uh, there has to be an ebook product page already on Amazon for the audiobook to be linked to. So this is why in order to have a simultaneous release, you have to either have an ebook that's already available or a pre-order page for the ebook on Amazon with the formatted ebook files already uploaded on KDP. Um, and that means a pre-order period that's at least a couple of weeks long. And uh, I won't get into the problems that I have with long pre-order periods, but I don't really start to make money until my books are live in Kindle Unlimited uh, when people are reading them. And that is why I always have to weigh the pros and cons of a simultaneous release for each book. So then I submit the files to ACX. And if I want a specific on-sale date, I call ACX to request it. But uh, there are rules about the timing of on-sale dates and pre-orders. And sometimes it can actually go live faster if you don't request a specific date. Uh, The only problem being that you have no idea when it will be available. They just tell you it's usually within 10 business days from the date you submit your files. So that's what I've done for Dash. Um, It's now September 20th that I'm recording this at night. And uh, so hopefully it will be on Audible in a few days. We'll see. Um, I've never had an audiobook not pass the review phase, though. So knock wood. But, um, (laughs) and because so many people ask me if one of my books will be whisper synced, um, yes, the rule for whisper syncing is that the text in the ebook has to match what's read in the audiobook at least 95%. And mine always do. 
So technically, all of my books should be whisper synced, but we as authors and publishers have no control over when a book is whisper synced. That is a technical thing on the ACX side of things. Uh, And the rule is that the publisher has to wait until 30 business days have passed if their book hasn't been whisper synced before they can even call to complain because they won't do anything about it until 31 business days have gone by without whisper syncing. So that's wonderful. So this is all stuff that I personally deal with when self-publishing an audiobook. Uh, an author could also uh, sell the audiobook rights to an, an audiobook publisher, uh, like Dreamscape, for instance. Um, and they don't have to do a thing except sign off on casting if they're lucky. And the big audiobook publishers don't have to abide by the same rules that self-publishers do in terms of like setting up pre-orders, for instance, on Audible. Um, and also, if, if, you, if you choose to do a solo or dual narration production, depending on how you've written the book, um, there's a lot less prepping and editing involved. So, uh, so ever since 2019, I personally have been more invested and involved in the casting and quality of my audiobooks than I might need to be. Um, so, you know, if you're an author who's listening and, and wants to get into self-publishing audiobooks, do not worry. It does not have to be this labor-intensive at all. Uh, for whatever reason, I've just really gotten into it. But um, I will say that because these multicast duet audiobooks are so expensive, I can't promise that every production in the future will be duet. Uh, The sales are the same, ultimately. Um, And whether my audiobooks are duet or dual, even though a lot of listeners prefer duet audiobooks, um, you know, there's no way to search for duet audiobooks on Audible, and they don't categorize them that way, Um, at least not yet. So, you know, I'm going to finish out the existing series that I have in duet probably, but um, future standalones will, uh, will likely be dual for, uh, for budget reasons. Thank you for understanding. And now I'm going to talk about Emma Wilder and her outstanding performance in the audiobook for Dash. And, uh, and it really is a performance. It's something I talk about with Connor sometimes. There are some narrators who just narrate what they read. And, uh, and sometimes there are books that really only require that they read the words aloud. Um, and then there are some narrators who really act their parts. And because of the way I write, I prefer to cast actors. Um, Emma and Connor and Evan Parker and Mackenzie Cartwright who, uh, who all narrate Dash, they all act their parts, no matter how big or small the character is in the book. And, um, you know, even though they all record separately, they all sound like they belong in the same audiobook, which is what you wanted as a listener and what I want as the author. Um, so I've had Emma Wilder on as a guest here on the podcast twice. Uh, she was on the very first episode of Multiple Eargasms with her good friend Teddy Hamilton when the audiobook for Funny Business released. Funny Business was the first book Emma had narrated for me, and she and Teddy were the stars of that one, and she then appeared in the two Brody Brothers books that followed it. Emma and Teddy also recorded an achingly beautiful and sweet song for me um, to celebrate the release of Funny Business, and that was episode 1.5 in season one, so you can listen to that. And, uh, and then I had her back in season one in an episode called Lady Business with Aaron Mallon and Mackenzie Cartwright, wherein we talked about their jobs as, uh, as narrators. So Emma and I have gotten to be friends over the past year through email, and, uh, and I reached out to her about wanting her to be the lead female in Dash. This was back at the end of February this year, I think, to see what her schedule's like uh, in the summer. And uh, I ended up deciding to push back the release of Dash a little bit in order to offset yet more burnout. Um, so she had to fit it into her already kind of busy end of summer schedule, but it, it all worked out. And... Um, And knowing that Emma would be voicing Charlie definitely affected the way I wrote Charlie as well as one of the the side characters because I know her personality 
as well as her voice acting talents. Um, Emma is fantastic at doing accents, and she's kind of a perfectionist, so I doubt there's any accent she can't or won't do well. Um, and while she was really able to show off that skill a fair amount in funny business, there aren't as many different accents in these Boston Tomcats books as some of my other ones, but I knew that she's good at English accents, so I wrote a best friend character with a fun English accent for her to do in Dash. And I'm actually going to start, uh, I'm going to share a little taste of how she voiced Darcy, who is, she's Charlie's roommate in the beginning of the book. Darcy's uh, 19, I think, and she's a ballerina who's described as basically a little pixie who tries to talk like a London street thug because she wants to sound tough. And um, here's Emma as a tiny, adorable London pixie dancer. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, then. Darcy pointed at the iPad like it was catching fire. This is the guy? Dash Taylor of the NU fucking honey badgers? This bloody fucking guy right here? Are you bloody fucking kidding me with this? Darcy was 19, from London. She often tried to offset her fairy princess size and looks by talking like a London street thug. Nobody had the heart to tell her that it only made her more adorable. Yeah, he's a big, obnoxious jock who refuses to do one demi-plié. Oh, his body's sick. Check this out. She held up her iPad screen for us to see. Zooming in on what I had to admit was indeed a rather sick photo of Dash in his football uniform. Those were some tight, tight pants right there. Man, you gotta hit that. Tell me you're gonna hit that hard, Charlie, yeah? No, I'm not going to do anything even remotely close to hitting that in any way at all. Well, I would let that bloke fold me up and eat me like a falafel. Um, so it's amazing to me because, like, I guess I haven't, um, I haven't actually been in a room with Emma, but I have a feeling she's probably kind of a tall woman. Um, but she actually sounds small. <laughs> she actually sounds like a little pixie girl when she does that voice, and that's incredible to me. Um, and that's voice acting, people. So um, one thing that I find really interesting about narrators is that uh, not all of them read the entire book before they start recording their narration, usually because they don't have time. Uh, Emma is one of the narrators who believes it's important to read a book before she starts recording it. And I believe she reads the male POV chapters as well, even for... Um, dual narration um but she certainly had to for uh for this one since it's duet but um i think this attention to detail was very apparent in her performance at least to me here because while there's been a lot of um there's been a lot of rave reviews about dash um the book and uh and dash and charlie as characters but i haven't seen much mention of charlie being funny and while she may be less overtly funny than most of my heroines, uh, I think Emma found and brought out what was really funny about Charlie in a lovely way. And, and maybe I didn't even realize how funny Charlie was when I was working on the book because this book was kind of uh, difficult to write. But, um, but I can't not be funny to a degree you know, regardless. So Emma shows us when Charlie is funny and saucy. And I burst out laughing a lot and also found myself really self-conscious because she got Charlie, but I, I also felt seen. Um, and, uh, and it's because of the way she narrated certain passages like this one. He didn't look up when I walked in, but he was looking at my reflection in the mirrored wall across from him. I shut the door, put my bag in the corner, took off my shoes, took off the street clothes I was wearing over my leotard, and strolled over to the bar, barefoot. 
I was in such a rush to leave for the studio after talking to my mom that I didn't have time to put on tights or a top. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So this was the first time Dash had seen me in just a camisole Leo with bare legs. And it wasn't my fault someone in the building had turned the air conditioning on full blast that morning. It certainly wasn't my fault if seeing me like this made it harder for Dash to say goodbye to me. I mean, what was I supposed to do? Not be in great shape? Not have nipples that responded to a cold environment? Not remind him just how flexible I was by holding one foot up over my head? I was just being an inspirational dance instructor. So I also want to give you an example of a scene uh, in the first section of the book when Dash and Charlie are both 20 and Charlie has been hired uh, by Dash's college football coach to teach him ballet and dance of any form in order to teach him some grace and humility because, of course, he's a a cocky uh, college football player. And um, (laughs) she's really struggled to get this huge cocky jock to do anything in class up to this point and to get him to stop hitting on her. And, uh, And at this point in the classes, she's decided on a new tactic. Um, So listen to how much it sounds like she's actually talking while dancing in this. And uh, she's actually just sitting in a booth in her apartment uh, in August, and she can't have a fan of any kind in there or the mic will pick up the noise. But, uh, But here's how it sounds in the audiobook. Okay, we're going to dance a mambo together, I told him as I put on De Todo Un Poco otherwise known as Johnny's Mambo from Dirty Dancing. I said it on repeat, because we were going to keep doing it until he got it right. You'll basically lead, but you will do as I say. We start with the open box. Yes, let's laugh at the hilarious term open box, because we're 12. He rolled his lips and flattened them, trying to suppress a grin. Nobody's laughing, Hermione. The mambo is serious business. He put his hands on my waist and pulled me toward him. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. I pushed him away. This is my dance space. This is your dance space. I gestured. You stay in your space, and I stay in mine. I realized I wouldn't be able to dance with one hand up, one hand resting on his bicep, because he was so freaking tall and huge. We will do the two-hand hold, holding both hands like this, palm to palm. You got it. His hands were enormous. I pressed my palms flat against his and felt myself blushing. I cleared my throat. Elbows up, no spaghetti arms, hold the frame. You start with your left foot. We count two, three, four, start with the basic forward and backward steps, and you will mirror my movements. I counted out, and when he stepped on my foot, I yelled out, You don't step on the one! You have to start on the two! The music starts, and you don't dance until the two. Got it? Find the two. Attack on the two! Attack on the two. Got it. Move those hips. Rock and break. Two, three, four, one. Lifting up, shoulders down. Two, three, four, again. Concentrate. He stared down at our feet. Don't look down. Eyes on mine. Chin up. Now he was watching my hips. I couldn't seem to stop swaying my hips around this man. Breathe. Feel the music. We're just going to do this for the whole song? We're going to do this until you get it right. Two, three, four, hold the one. Two, three, four. When he finally got the basic action right, I showed him how to swivel. He seemed to only get it right when he concentrated on my hips, so I didn't yell at him to hold my gaze. His jaw was tight and his nostrils were flaring, but he was getting it right. Good, I said. Then I showed him how to do a crossover break. He was getting it. We kept doing the dance, over and over. I kept adding in moves, and he kept doing them as he concentrated on my lower body. Then. Without me even telling him to, he spun me out 
pulled me in and dipped me. Then he pulled me back up. Then he quickly pulled his shirt off and tossed it aside before turning me around and pulling me in so my back was pressed up against him. He lifted my arm up, hooked it around his neck, and dragged the backs of his fingers down the side of my arm and torso. It all happened so fast. If we're gonna recreate Dirty Dancing, then I believe Patrick Swayze had a shirt off for a lot of that movie. I lightly punched his arm, and I swear it bruised my knuckles. You've seen it? He shrugged. A hot chick made me watch it back in high school. That was when I burst out laughing. I laughed and stepped away from him because no woman who has watched Dirty Dancing can recreate that scene without giggling. And I laughed because I had felt a sizable bulge in his sweatpants against my back and it was the only way to release my nervous energy. We were both breathing heavily and he was watching me, smiling. I covered my face with one hand and it took me a moment to realize he was holding my other hand. He held it gently, which I thought must have been difficult for him. He had been trained to be aggressive, and maybe aggression was in his nature. I didn't know. But he made an effort not to grip my delicate hands too hard. And for some reason, that moved me more than it should have. I felt tears stinging the corners of my eyes. It wasn't just Dash who'd had a breakthrough that day. I had this flash of a realization that this stubborn beast of a man had a heart. But I had to pull it together. We had six classes left, and I needed to maintain this dynamic while still making progress with him and achieving the goals his coach and I had set for him. That was really good, I said as I slowly slipped my hand out of his. Good work. He placed his hands on his hips as he caught his breath. What's next? He asked, in a way that made me wonder if he meant in the lesson or what's next for us. I let my gaze travel slowly up his bare chest, and it felt like it took around half a year before I finally met his gaze. And I didn't bite my lip on purpose. It just happened. He had hungry eyes, and I probably did too. We'll rehydrate and then get back to ballet, but we should do some stretches first. He slow blinked and grinned, and it wasn't even a cocky grin. You got it, baby. I really can't get over that scene. Uh, so... One of the things that's so beautiful about the way Emma narrated this is um, you can really hear her smiling when she reads some passages when Charlie is starting to fall for Dash. And that was one of the things that I had told Connor I wanted for this book before we started writing it. Um, instead of focusing on the plot like we did in Decker, I wanted readers to just experience what it's like for these two people to fall in love even though they don't want to, um, to date, to really get to know each other, to live together, to decide to have a surprise baby together, and then to be new young parents together, because it's really rare to actually get to see a couple go through all of that in a romance novel, um, uh, certainly in a romantic comedy. And it felt like I was listening to Emma fall for Dash, and it's just, it's really, really lovely. It was like some strange dance, our walk to the L. He waited for me to come out of the ladies' room at the studio, and then quickly walked out of the building. He crossed the street before I'd reached the crosswalk, and then waited on the other side, looking down at his phone until the light changed again. When he saw out of the corner of his eye that I was crossing the street, he moved on. Surely he knew that I knew the way to the L from the studio. I wondered if he was making sure I didn't change my mind and run away, or if he was keeping an eye on me to make sure I didn't get mugged. I found it sweet. And something else, too, I suppose. It felt like he was somehow trying to protect me, and I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed that. I didn't need his protection, but this morning, I really liked that I had it. 
I also liked watching his defensive end in those sweatpants as he walked ahead of me. At the platform of the train station, we stayed about ten feet away from each other, but I was completely aware that he was watching me. If someone threw a football at me right then and I caught it, he would be able to run over and sack me in one second. Although he probably didn't grin at the other team's offensive players while appreciatively scanning their bodies. I wondered if he would have noticed me in a crowd like this if he didn't already know me, or if I would have gotten the randy butterflies if he'd been a total stranger checking me out. I played along and kept glancing over at him, playing with my hair and giving him a coy little smile. He nodded and smirked while stroking his jaw. When the train arrived, we got onto the same car through different doors. It wasn't super crowded, but all the seats were taken. We both stood, still keeping our distance from each other. I held onto a pole and he gripped the horizontal handrail. It was quite a bit lower than his head. I couldn't even imagine what it would be like to view the world from up there all the time. He must have felt invincible. No wonder he was so damn cocky. I felt physically smaller when I was around him, but I was starting to get some kind of contact high just from knowing that I had the attention of someone that huge. But he had been so sweet and helpful lately, and... I liked that side of him. I wished I didn't have to try so hard to accept that I liked it, but I was accepting it this morning. I was letting my body do the thinking for me. I would gladly accept all the high fives and boob squeezes that Darcy and Antonia would offer me when they surmised that I'd finally let the football player fold me up and eat me like a falafel wrap. But I was getting ahead of myself. So the other thing that's uh, surprising and unique, I think, about this book is uh, that Dash and Charlie have sex throughout the different stages of their relationship. There's the hot sex they have before they start dating, while they're dating, and they also have hot sex when Charlie is pregnant and after she's had the baby. Um, and every time they have sex, it's a different flavor. And, uh, and let me tell you, Connor and Emma both sound like they really got into it. And, um, you know, by now I've heard a lot of scenes where actors narrate the sexy times that I've written. But this was the first time I was like, whoa, this sounds intimate. Like, uh, I maybe shouldn't be listening to this very private moment. So that was weird. Um, and I'm going to give you just a little tease and you're going to be very frustrated by this but um you know it really deserves to be heard in its entirety but um I first want to say that while Connor he he writes the first draft of all the male POV chapters in the books that we co-write um and for chapter 14 um which is the first P in V chapter in Dash, I, uh, I felt very strongly that even though that first P&V scene was told from Dash's POV, um, you know, Dash being a really big guy in many ways, that uh, it was important to give a clear idea of what the experience is like for a small woman, because Charlie is, uh, you know, she's like a 102 pound, very thin ballerina you know, what the experience is like for a small woman to accommodate a large man's large member for the first time. So I rewrote a lot of that scene, um, especially towards the end, to reflect that very specific kind of experience. And let me tell you, Emma gives you a clear idea of what the experience is like with her voice. She gasped, and there was no friction, but God, she was so tight, and I had never wanted anything so bad in my life as much as I wanted to be able to fuck her like crazy. But I sucked in my breath, too, and tried to take my time. You okay? Uh-huh. Keep going slow, though, okay? Yep. I pushed in a little more, and she whispered. Oh, shit. You okay? 
She wiggled around the tiniest bit under me and it felt so good. Yep, it's good. It's so good. Just keep going slow. Yep. I pushed in a little more, slowly, slowly. Slower than I'd ever done anything in my life. It was a totally different kind of pain from slamming into the field and getting injured. It was more frustrating than having to learn how to do an attitude in a dance studio so I could be a better football player. It was the best and worst kind of hell I could imagine. She spread her legs a little more and then I felt her feet on the backs of my thighs and she tilted her pelvis up and gave me a nudge and I pressed in the rest of the way as far as I could go. Oh my god. She said, so quietly her voice as high-pitched and breathy as I'd ever heard it. Dash, it feels so good. That was when she started rocking her hips and wrapped her arms tight around my neck and said, Okay, to tempo. Okay, that's all you get. Um, so then there's this scene where Charlie gives birth to a baby. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not gonna share it with you here because uh, for it to really mean something, I think you need to experience the, the book leading up to it and you have to hear the scene in its entirety. Um, you know, but uh, even if you were to hear it as a clip, I think you would be blown away by just how much Emma gave to that performance. I think she deserves an award, seriously, just for this scene alone. We've all seen movies and TV shows where actresses are giving birth. They're, they're pretending to give birth. And those performances can be well done. They can be exaggerated. You know, they're always dramatic, even in a sitcom. But those actresses... I think actually have it kind of easier because they can act with their face and their body as well as their voice. And Emma was just conveying the sound of a woman giving birth and she completely sold it, you know, in um, as much as it feels like you're in the hospital room with these two people on the other side of a privacy curtain. And it's the perfect counterpoint to that first P&V scene in a way, which is brilliant. But uh, but I will give you a taste of a scene that comes after the baby is born. Um, I really, <laughs> I really love this chapter and the one that comes before it. This is when you first uh, get to know Dash as as a father, and and Charlie as as a tired young mother, and. Um, and they finally get to come together as, as a man and woman again after the baby's born six weeks later. And it's really lovely. So enjoy this. When I woke up, the sun had not yet risen and Dash was passed out on the reclining lazy boy, holding our sleeping baby on his chest. I had slept for nearly three hours straight. This in and of itself was a miracle. For the first time in ages, I felt like I could take on the world. Instead, I carefully took the baby from Dash's arms. His breath hitched, but he released his grip on the baby and didn't wake up. Neither did Ethan. Dash had done it. He'd gotten him to sleep. I took Ethan back to his bassinet and gave him a little kiss before grabbing the baby monitor and tiptoeing over to my bathroom. I didn't bother turning on the light. I hadn't showered in two days and probably had dried traces of baby barf and mother's milk on various parts of me, but I brushed my teeth and combed my hair and gave myself a good wipe down with a damp cloth. I put my hair up in a top knot. I felt like a woman again, an attractive one. I tiptoed back to the living room and just stood there watching Dash in the dim light from the lamp in a corner. I so rarely saw him from this perspective, standing over him while he was unconscious. There was a time when I couldn't even imagine this man ever being truly tired. But he was. He never complained, and he still seemed invincible. But there was something so beautiful about this new kind of strength he had dad's strength. It wasn't fueled by anger or competitiveness. It was powered by love and a sense of responsibility. 
most people our age were out partying at night, working menial jobs during the week, making the kinds of daily mistakes that surely they'd outgrow once they were older and wiser. Dash and I had been committed to our career goals since before they were officially our careers. We were always dedicated to something bigger than our own immediate desires and needs. There was always something we had to deal with before we could get to each other. Ballet, football, pregnancy, our baby. Not to mention whatever armor we had to break through and let down to really be ourselves together. But there he was, and there I was. I was suddenly aware, in this quiet moment in the middle of the night, that I had never stopped to truly appreciate this person that Dash Taylor had become. He wasn't officially mine. I wasn't legally his. But he was here. He was here for me and for Ethan. And I truly believed that he would always be there for Ethan. Wanting to believe that he would always be there for me was another matter. I could barely even admit to myself that I wanted that. I couldn't say it out loud in the way that I was able to say that I wanted to dance with the New York Ballet and that I wanted to have his baby. It was football season, so he was almost always at practice, at a home game, or traveling to an away game. When he was at home, we were taking care of and talking about the baby. We hadn't had time to talk about what it meant that we loved each other. Most of the time, just knowing that we'd come home to each other was enough. Some of the time, when he was out of town and Ethan was asleep, I'd lie awake in bed and wonder where my bed would be a year from now. If things went according to plan, my bed would be in New York. Dash probably wouldn't be there with me. But right now... I was awake, and I didn't smell like poop or puke. The baby was asleep, and the father of my child was a big, hot, sleeping angel in a tank top and briefs in front of me. I was in my early twenties, and I had an immediate desire and need that I hadn't felt in a long time. I wanted one thing at that moment, and I was going to get it. And, uh, and, and that's it. I'm just going to leave you with this, this piece and uh, implore you to, uh, to download Dash Rushing the Play uh, from Audible or Amazon or iTunes um, and, uh, and really enjoy this audiobook and, uh, and especially Emma Wilder's performance. Thank you. This is Mackenzie Cartwright, also known as the official voice of Kaylee Loring's Lady Parts. Multiple Eargasms with Kaylee Loring is produced by Elysian Nightfall Studios and The Audio Flow. To learn more about your host, you can visit www.kayleeloring.com. Thank you for eargasming. <laughs>